speaking of Kilgo, and maybe I can just make this my pre-show. I'm not sure I talked about it. Uh, uh, I go to his Bible study, you know, and we <laughs> we had our Bible study and we had maybe three people there. Like it was it was a night where just a bunch of people couldn't make it. Right. And so we did our Bible study. And then I was told that apparently he's really passionate about his hymn selections in some way or like he has this specific way of doing it. And so I was mm-hmm. told by one of the parties that couldn't make it to ask about his hymn selection. And he went 45 minutes after the Bible study where everybody was just kind of like, can I leave? Is Bible study over? And he's just <laughs> lecturing to us for 45 minutes about how he picks his hymns and how he's got a spreadsheet and how, how he's mad that LSB doesn't contain all of the hymns verses and just goes on and on and so i kept trying to like stand up and move around and tell like without just saying hey shut up yeah give a signal yeah it's like i i was like i i gave like a really exaggerated like you know one of those (laughs) i grabbed the cup that i had and went and threw it in the trash and stood next to the trash can for a while and he just kept going, and I gave up and sat down again. <laughs> See, I bet you regret asking that question. I do, but it's also really funny. <laughs> well, it's good for the past. It's good for the past to be passionate about something. But every pastor knows the situation because how often are we visiting with someone, and uh, you take a step to the door? It's another five minutes. A step to the door, and then you get almost to the door. Yeah, it's and like then, a- and they say, "Oh, let me show you this picture." Then you have to, it starts all over again. Right. It's like a Minnesota goodbye. They never end. You prefer an Irish goodbye, don't you? Yeah, I do, actually. Just, you just leave. <laughs> that seems like your style. That's how you leave pastors' conferences, isn't it? Well, yeah, of course. It's like, hey, wasn't Berg here? Oh. <laughs> gotta, gotta beat the rush. Anyway, we should probably get to the show. Recorded live at Tox and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tastings Studios, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Peter, I guess. No vicar here. Am I still too loud? Uh, just just uh, right then. A little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what am I getting excited? Because Berg is back. Yeah. I might get excited. Berg is here, and I've missed him. Peter can tell you. Right? Yeah. <coughs> I mean, the last couple episodes were okay. Um, I'm sure you listened to them, so. I did, actually. Did you? I did. I listened to the last one. I haven't listened to the the Deers one. Okay. Deers and Heavenly Tears or whatever it was, so. Yeah. I'm sure Vicar was pontificating on his uh, great hobby. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, of which. Uh, slaying Bambies. That's what, he has, Speaking- that's what he has left us for today, right? Yes, he is going to go uh, find uh, something in God's cr- beautiful creation that he can eat. Murder. Murder and eat, yes. Yes. And I'm not much of a hunter, right? In fact, this might be surprise you. I've never even shot a gun before. You, you've you never shot a never. gun? Never. What? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we I, have to get this rectified. Well, I've never felt the need, really, because I carry my guns with me. I mean, I hope Rieger is listening to this because, I mean... I'm sure it would just about give him a heart attack. That could be. Well, so. he does like more bow hunting than. Yeah, but have you seen his arsenal? No, like, he's got some really neat guns. I'm he's kind of building a compound. I don't want to. No one's listening. Kind of want you know. He's got like acres of land. He's building a house. He's got a store of weapons. You it's... know, he's kind of my role model at this point. Is he? So. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing, you know. He was explaining to me the different seasons of deer hunting. So you've got bow hunting, mm-hmm. you've got um, shotgun uh, hunting, muzzle loader, which I always thought it was just you. You brought a gun out. I don't know what all these different things mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. Like the seasons are so much later here than like they are up in Minnesota, because when I was on vacation, they were having their second season of um, of shotgun. You know, and that's been a couple of weeks, and I think what this is the first weekend mm-hmm. for shotgun down here. I wonder. I wonder if they just want to make sure they're done with harvest out here. Maybe. I yeah, and I think too, it's just you know, you're that much farther south, mm-hmm. so it makes a a difference. You know, so 
But if I were to go hunt, since I, I carry my guns with me, this is my idea of a hunting. But I've noticed, so you have, what, what they need to do in Iowa for me to go hunt is this. You got bow hunting, shotgun, right? Mm-hmm. Muzzle loader, what are the others? Do they have like a slingshot hunting or? Maybe, I don't know. Okay. But I would like a bare hands season. That's my type of hunting. I think there are some hunters. They're called marathon hunters. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they'll actually drop down on the deer, and the deer will run and run and run, and they'll just keep running after the deer, you know, until the deer, because humans, it's amazing, you know, our endurance for long-distance running uh, outshines any other animal. So what will happen is the deer will keep running, and the, the acid will build up in its muscles, and finally I won't be able to run anymore. And so then what they do is they go and they slit the throat. Yeah, so, see, that's why I'm like... You know, if it's a sport, I want it mano y mano. I, I want to see that buck look it in the eye and say, "Let's go, man." Have Let's you see. have you seen some of those videos where uh, people put like deer urine on their clothes and then the buck comes and attacks them? Get like a helmet with some antlers on it. <laughs> you want to go, buck? Let's go. Let's <laughs> I wonder how you train for that. Well, I would see, and I would you know have to like uh, sneak up on him, take the the buck by surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to. I don't want a doe. I want a buck. I want. I just want to see what I'm made out of. You know, it's, me and a buck, like there in the open field, right, competing. One so, of them gets to eat. So, if you send great big donations, I'm sure you know Bullhagen will go and try and wrestle a deer. So, and how can how can they do that for us, Peter? I just they, I, there may be some bear hunting. I love the idea of donating enough to wrestle a <laughs> a buck. <laughs> like, but that's it. I can't. Do you know why? There's no there's bare no hands season, season for it. Uh, right, right. Well, what yeah, season would you, that be? Uh, anyway, if you want to support the show in that regard, <laughs> you can either uh, go to our Patreon website, patreon.com/slash Clerical Errors Podcast. It's also on our website. If that's hard to type, but just think the the satisfaction. Sorry, Pete. The satisfaction of see that that buck head on the wall. I ripped it from its bare hands. Mano imano. Well, maybe we will. Maybe we can make something like this happen. So anyway, we also have, as you have seen, the store, clerical errors store, uh, store dot clerical errors dot org, and uh, there you. How can... many orders do we have? Do we have any? Oh, uh, we've we've got a few orders now. We've got a few orders. I think Good. we've made a grand total of twenty dollars off of the store. Wow. Hey. Um. Wow. Well, that, that actually well, selling a decent amount of stuff with our with our with our, our margins, meager cuts, like yeah. one or two dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's important because, like, you know, our equipment <laughs> was uh, kind of on the fritz here before we started. Yeah. So. Right. So how how many? I want to know how many Berg shirts we have. We sold any Berg shirts? We have sold at least one riff on that shirt. <laughs> we have. I, oh, I I saw that we have at least one Berg. Have you seen the store now? You, you appreciate? Yep, I have. <laughs> My wife scrolled through it, and so... What did she say when she saw the riff on that shirt? Um, I don't think she knew what to say. She was speechless. <laughs> I, I, bu- I haven't placed my order yet, because I kind of want the... <laughs> I ordered the poster. I can't wait. <laughs> just a dead look in your eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's super... Just the it's solar. Super, it's super flattering. It's like a... <laughs> it's like that, that uh, 19th century angry Lutheran pastor look... <laughs> Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> there's there's like a similar picture of Luther, isn't there? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I And uh I kind of actually received one of my order except uh we we noticed that in true clerical errors fashion originally some of our merch had uh the logo was spelled wrong. Clerk clerk. Uh, we fixed <laughs> that. That is awesome. We fixed that before release, but I ordered a couple things before release, and so I have a shaker here. Uh, you guys can't see. Oh, so you got like the uh, you got. I like got the, the one of special, one special, yeah. right? Yeah, the clerical <laughs> errors. <laughs> ah, that's great. That's amazing. So I've got a nice, uh, nice little. So anybody buy the sweatpants? I have. I think I saw a couple of them. Yeah. People, people like the sweatpants. I, uh, I'm happy for them. I, I didn't think that they would sell, but people like them. <laughs> so, I kind of, I kind of want a coffee mug. 
I the mug turned out really cool. I think. Yeah, this I one. I like the uh, the new logo one. I think better that because I'm sh- like the only thing with the one with the picture on it is that it would. Uh, I'm afraid it'll come off. You know. Yeah. After a lot of use. So I I like the look. I think that's a nice clean look. Yep, and I. That my logo aside, I really do like the the stainless steel with the cascading letters on the. Uh, I think they call it a tumbler, you know, like the yeah, that is like the cool. Yeti style metal mug thing. I right. I really like to look at that in in person, especially. It just looks nice. I, I'm guessing we haven't sold any of the Oklahoma shirts yet. I don't think so. No, I. I <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too niche. It's 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 niche. Have you seen this? I kind of I kind of want to just. That's kind of like if I were to buy a shirt, I think I might just buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like how the, the the arrows like duct taped on the yes, <laughs> comic stand. It has kind of a South Park flavor to it. It does. <laughs> I like it. I love it. <laughs> so anyway, enough shilling. What do you guys uh, want to talk about the text for today? Or uh, yeah, what are we what are we preaching on, Berg? I'm not actually preaching. Vickers preaching. Uh oh. Is that why he's out in the deer stand just composing his sermon? He actually, yeah, this typical typical vicar fashion, he actually said uh, he uh, printed uh, a smaller version of the sermon on a different style sheet so that when he's in his little hunting hut or whatever, that he can actually review his sermon while he's... Ha! That's awesome. And you know what? That's a great idea. Think about it. You lull the deer to sleep. (laughs) Yep. It's like a gospel law sermon. You lull them to sleep. And then you murder them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, our text for the second Sunday in Advent, uh, commonly known as Populus Zion, is Luke 21, 25 through 36. Jesus said, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. One one discussion that Vicar and I had in composing the sermon is is uh, when you talk about readiness, um, it, there, there can be a way of, of looking at this with great foreboding, you know, where, you know, be ready, you know, pounding people, and the day is coming, pounding them on the head, and using it as like a hard law type thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, because of the context, I think this is more of a, a loving warning, you know, kind of like like a parent would would talk to their children about being careful, being clear headed. Yeah, I mean, I think you get that, especially at the end of the text. Um, I think the first part is very consoling, right? Mm-hmm. He actually says, "Lift up your heads, right? Right. Look, look forward to these things because your redemption is drawing near, right?" So the first part is very comforting in that you don't have to fear what the rest of the world fears. While everyone else is fainting because these things are happening, because there's a pandemic, because there's earthquakes, because there's wars, because uh, you see funny things in the heavens, um, you don't have to worry like the pagans do. You don't have to worry, but instead, rather than you know hiding your head in the sand or calling on rocks and caves to uh, fall on you and to cover you, you can say, you can lift up your head and say, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Right, Isaiah, um, 
for our first ad midweek Advent service, one of the readings we had was from Isaiah 66, where it talks about, Jesus talks about birth pains too, but he kind of gets it a little bit more. He talks about the pains that you go through, but it, it is one that is gone through for the sake of life. And as he encourages us to look at the fig tree and the, the, the leaves on the tree, not only does, do we look at those things differently without fear, but it really is a way of looking at them with hope. Like every thing you see, every disaster is a reminder that the day is getting closer. So yeah, I was listening to the uh, um, the Godestine's crowd sermon prep for, for this Sunday, mm-hmm. and there was such a funny line in it. I thought it was awesome. He basically, uh, Pastor Peterson on there, he is the pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne. Uh, he said, yeah, when the stores are out of toilet paper, that should be a reminder to repent. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because famines, right? Mm-hmm. A famine of toilet paper is still a famine, right? Mm-hmm. Watching gas prices go up. It should actually be an occasion for for repentance, mm-hmm. right? Um all of these signs are indicators, right? They are a foreshadowing of the judgment that is that is to come, right? Mm-hmm. Because all will be judged. The thing with Christians is, is that we'll be judged innocent. Right. Right? Because of, and that's why we can look forward to our redemption. And that word redemption means to be bought back, right? Purchased and won. Right. Um, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. But yeah, the warning comes in the second part, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, don't let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. And it, Can you define dissipation? Yeah, so dissipation here. Um, um, I don't. I don't have the Greek in front of me. It's debauchery, squandering, uh, the squandering of money, energy, or resources. And I mean, this can happen in a lot of different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this can happen when you run after the things in life that are finite and temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, this can happen when you worry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not just related to the drunkenness, you know, and this is especially a season for that. What, what, it, what it could mean is kind of like the, the parable of the ten virgins, where, where part of the lesson of that one was um, he could come any time, but he might be delayed. And if you are, in a sense, squandering things and being wasteful, be ready for it happening today, but also be ready for if it takes a while for him to come. Yeah. Well, and that's why, in a way, I kind of wish, and this happens on a microcosmic level for every human being when they're dying, right? Mm-hmm. Because the world, for them, is coming to an end. Right. Where they will no longer experience the things of this world. And this is why, in a way, uh, and people probably don't want to think about it this way, and they might think this is morbid, but it's good to know, like, oh, I've got a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And I have like six months to a year to live, mm-hmm. because what does it do? It actually puts everything into really right. clear perspective. Like, okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to meet my maker. Maybe the things that I thought were so important when I didn't think I was going to die, right? You know, maybe I should put those things away, and maybe I should focus on the things that are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is unless something like that happens, most people keep going the way that they're going, right? Mm-hmm. And that word dis- dissipation, to squander, right? Think of how much time we squander for things that really, you know... Don't matter. Well, and you're... Honestly, like, we worry about all this stuff, and we think about all this stuff that you're not even going to remember next week. Right. I actually... <laughs> I had a weird... You know me, I'm the king of weird examples, right? Yeah. So I, I referred to uh, uh, the time when I was about five years old. Just It was not a long illustration, just a couple mm-hmm. lines. And I mentioned how when I was five years old, my mother made me a Superman outfit. It had a purple cape for some reason because, you know, that's why you could tell it was homemade. Right. And uh, I was so concerned about that that I would, like, uh, mess up the knees of it. Okay. okay. That was so, so important to me. And I did that just so I get a kind of little laugh. And then I mentioned, well, you, you know, you and all your adult problems, well, yours are more serious. But then 
are they really any different, your concerns, than that when you're staring in the face of God or when death is near? How important are any of these things when the true peace that you have comes from Christ that cannot be taken away from you? Right. Well, and it kind of comes back to what has God commanded you in your station in life, right? Not just looking forward to your eternal life, but right. what has God commanded you here and now to do? And I think that kind of stuff also puts it all into perspective, because as we know, a lot of people work a ton, right? Mm-hmm. They do. And uh, oftentimes to the detriment of their families. Right. And the question is, is what serves what? Why do you go to work? Well, uh, you go to work to support your family, right? Right. I mean, they are the priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is, is like, how much money do you need? How many vacations do you need to take? How many boats do you need to have? You know, is that really serving your family in the way that God wants you to serve your family? I think those are questions that every person in their station in life should be asking, right? And this is something I think uh, from the mother point of view that they really wrestle with, mm-hmm. you know, about should I, as a mother, re-enter the workforce? You know, how much of my this money that I would be earning does my family depend on? How much do my children depend on? I mean, I think that's is something that they, a mother, truly will wrestles with. Right. And, you know, and I think there might be different answers mm-hmm. for different people. But I think at the end of the day, you have to actually wrestle with it. Because if God gave you these kids, right, mm-hmm. you should actually... And the same way if, if you're a boss, Right. I mean, what does next month's uh, quarterly um, profits look like if you did bad things to get there? Right. You know, I mean, so I I think, you know, it doesn't just apply to our eternal life, but I think it also puts it into perspective like, okay, if my children are the only thing that God has given me that I can take into heaven with me, then maybe I should do more with them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, and, and and the other thing, too, is, is is he causes us to look at the fig tree, right? He, 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 he whenever he talks about this, he always um, kind of attacks things that we think will bring us peace, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's famines or wars or false Christ. And he does it in such a way that all these things are going to try and rob you of peace or offer a false peace mm-hmm. when he says, my, my word stands forever. Everything else will fail. And so, so what do you do with verse 32 where Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. So what do you do with that verse? The way I, I would kind of understand that is he's looking at it the same way an old Testament prophet would. Okay, meaning um, that uh, when they refer to the coming of uh, Christ and his kingdom and his work, like it's all the same thing. So you're you're an advocate of telescoping, where where, where it's kind of like where like if you're driving up to the mountains, the mountains look really close together, but as you get closer to them, they're far apart. Is that kind of what right. you're saying? And and I would say the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection, when that happens. In a sense, these things are happening. This is the last day. Everything's ready for the last day to come. Mm-hmm. Or you could it can mean the because obviously they all died, or it could be in a reference, like you mentioned, a reference to their death. You know, or it could be the the term generation could be a reference to the generation of the new covenant. How, how do you how do you take it? So the way I I guess I would take it is is that. This generation, right? This group of men are going to experience all of these things um, that the world, you know, all of these signs of the end of the world. Right. So, like, if you look at Matthew, what is it, 24, about the signs of the end, mm-hmm. you know, some of the apostles are still alive when the temple at Jerusalem is destroyed. Right. Right. Um, they see the wars, the rumors of wars. They see the gospel going out into all the world, mm-hmm. you know, because they're sent, right? Um, they see Pentecost, right? That in these last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's the way that Peter uh, 
you know, that's the way that Peter uh, uh, preaches too. So um, I think this brings actually a little bit more of a oomph to it. Sure. Right? Like, uh, and it's, I think it's a critique too of most American theology on the end times. Because most people think there's going to be a rapture. Right. Right? There's going to be definite signs. The whole left behind thing. Right. And none of that is actually true. The thing is, is we should be expecting Christ at any moment because apostles like Paul expected Christ right. at any moment. Right. Um, because they knew that all of these signs had either been fulfilled or they were in the process of being fulfilled. That might be a good way of, uh, of, of uh, self-reflection. Like, uh, th- think about your day-to-day, right? Or think about what you're doing right now. Would you be doing that if Christ came back today? Or would you be like, oh? Yeah, I mean, I, it is a good way to really reevaluate your life. And you know what? That hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, like, honestly, if you think about what you do, on a daily or even a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you know, just even look at how much TV you watch compared to how much Bible reading you could probably do. Right. Right? I mean... Some of us more than others. <laughs> well, like, I'll just use myself as an example, right? I try to read four chapters of the Bible every day, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes me about 45 minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, after Stephen goes to bed, my wife and I watch TV for maybe an hour and a half, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I say that the Bible and Christ are more important to me, but what do I actually spend my time doing? Spend twice as much time watching stupid shows on, you know, on uh, on the TV, right? You, you, I, haven't, you haven't exposed her to MXC, have you? <laughs> no, I don't think she would watch it with me. So, but I, I, you know, and that's and that's just me, right? Right. And um, and that doesn't talk about anything else that we do. Things that uh, maybe, you know, that we put so much time and effort into that are really, at the end of the day, not all that important. You right. know. So, um, I it is. It's a good. Yeah, like, like this is a, this is a good. It's good co- consoling in the in the beginning of the passage, but it's also a a pretty stark warning, right? Right. Like you said, it's it's a loving warning because obviously you only warn somebody if you love them, right? Right. But it should actually make you reconsider. How am I living my life? Right. You know, and is that is that preparing me for the last day? It's kind of like if you were going to run a marathon, you don't sit around eating Doritos and you know. Right. Right. You actually train for it. And maybe we should be training better for the last day. So. Breaking news. We have. What's the breaking news? We have a breaking news from our man in the field. Vicar 18.0 just sent in a breaking news update. Saw nine does this morning so far, but no shots yet. They were all out of range. The hunt continues. The hunt continues. I that is a great line. Hey, Man, man. I wish we had an oh now I wish we had a, a shirt of Vicar with uh, the hunt continues. I'll see what I can do. Do it do it, man. <laughs> that would be awesome. So, alright. Have we beat this text to death yet? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, how about a top 12 list? Now, we, we were going to, when we were kind of talking about what are we going to talk about this show, uh, um, we thought, well, we should talk about the one-year and the three-year lectionary. Yeah. So, uh, that that's a, a pop. Do you have a... I don't. I'm not wearing my wedding ring, so... Have you ever had a Topo Chico? No. Oh, it's delicious. Mineral water carbonated. It is. Monterey Mexico. Mexico. It is actual mineral. It's like got a because of the minerals, a different, a little bit of a different consistency. It's very refreshing. Wow. Mm. Now so I'm, now I'm ready to go. All right, you ready? So we're talking about the the one year and the three year lectionary. Listeners probably know at this point that both Berg and I use the one year lectionary. Yep. And uh, 
I think uh, it used to be a, a very strong minority was using the one year. And then I think over the yeah, I think over the net last 10 to 20 years it's right. really come back. Yeah, the the more Fort Wayne graduates. <laughs> I, I, right. I no, I I think you're right. Uh you know, I think in the 1960s and 70s when the 3 year came out, um I think there was, you know, a lot of a lot of pastors jumped on that bandwagon mm-hmm. and now it's uh it's kind of going the other way, which is awesome. So So I had an interesting way of approaching this because uh, one thing that I think you admire me about me Berg is I've very measured all all the time right mm-hmm. I always try to say okay let's look at both sides what what could be they be thinking or not thinking and so what I did was plus because I I knew it would might some of these might bother you which always provide provides for good content yep and uh, and uh, an annoyed Berg is the best for the show wouldn't you say producer mm-hmm yeah, so, <laughs> ah. so uh, I have a top tw- 12 reasons for using the three-year lectionary. Of course you do. <laughs> Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Nice. So nice having you back, Berg. I do what I can. All healthy. But getting there. Getting there. <laughs> All right. All right. And some of these are actually might be valid. Mm-hmm. Some of these are written just to annoy you. Right. So why don't I just protect, uh, present my list and then have you react to it? Sounds good. Top 12 reasons for using the three-year lectionary. Okay. Or, or why you would. Yep. Okay. Number 12. A church has been using it for a while and is well adapted. It is well adapted in the cycle of that congregation, including hymns, educational resources, and the like. Only since, like, the 1970s, so. <laughs> but I would say, let's say I, I was called to a church, mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't completely mess up their, right. their liturgical life. And say they have, like, the at the school, like, they have a three-year cycle where they go through the readings, and it's kind of well set up. You know, you don't... Define well. <laughs> which can be one of our topics later sure. on so. sure yeah you, you seem kind of skeptical on that one already. yeah yep so okay why are you skeptical just well i i don't think the three-year lectionary is set up all that well okay i don't think it has the inner unity and consistency so okay but anyway all right number 11 it gives you the opportunity to use the best preaching resources, such as the Concordia pulpit resources. Ah, that's funny. You did that on purpose. <laughs> did I? Yeah. It's funny because, like, the resources that for the three-year are, once again, only, like, you know, 60 years old, where with the one-year, you've got hundreds and hundreds of years of sermons and hymns and uh, Luther, Gerhard, Walther, um, Reinhold Peeper, I, <laughs> I mean, like you know, the lists go on and on, going going back, you know, over a thousand years. So, okay, so so you would disagree with that one? I, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, some of these are I really are some thoughts that I had because, like, yeah, like twelve. Twelve was one yeah. a thought that mm-hmm. I had where. You know, as a pastor, you, if you're going to a situation and it really seems to really work well and people are learning the texts well of the three years, that is a, a plus, right? Yeah, if that were the case. So. I would have to see it to believe it. <laughs> so you, you don't believe that exists? I think people have a hard enough time learning the one year, which is a lot shorter and more concise in, in its thoughts and texts. So, number 10. I can see it being beneficial for congregations who have strong weekly attendance um, with no sporadic attenders. Let me explain what I mean by that. Is one of the things that I like about the one year is, is in any congregation, we have about uh, 40% maybe of the congregation that's here every Sunday, maybe 50%. 
Yeah, I would say that that's that's generous. I'd say it's probably more like thirty five, between thirty thirty and thirty five percent. I would say that are there regardless. Right, every single Sunday. Sometimes I think it's even down to you know, like let's say a church has four hundred members, they have a hundred on a Sunday. That's that's only twenty five percent. No, no, I'm saying I'm saying so. You take the population in church on Sunday. Yep. Okay, about forty percent of those of those there on Sunday are there every Sunday. Or 50% of those are there every Sunday, sitting in the yeah. pews. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. And then, then the other, uh, there's a 25% people who are there... Um, twice a month. Twice a month. Another 10% are there once a month. You have another 5 or 10% are there because maybe it's their month to do something right. or whatever, yep. right? And... So what happens then is um, it takes a couple of years for them to get the consistency of everybody of what the one-year series is actually doing. Mm-hmm. And it takes, it, it is, there is some consistency, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, where when people do miss and, you know, this is dealing with the realities of being a pastor is you want the the you know on the one year that they're getting something that's going to be ring a bell a little bit that they've heard before, and there's a rhythm and a cycle to it that yep. helps them. And you're saying the three-year is beneficial be- for basically the overachievers that are there every Sunday. So, so for example, let's say you're in a congregation where 90% of the people there are there every Sunday, okay? Okay. And... They say they all stay for Bible study afterwards. And Are you sure you're not talking about heaven? <laughs> and they they would like to hear the more variety of the texts mm-hmm. and the a bigger counsel that the three year would provide, and it would be beneficial for them to have that broader range of readings. Maybe, um, what I would. Uh... If you had that kind of church attendance, I actually still think the one year would be better because then you could expose them to uh, the daily readings that are being put together by the Lutheran Missile Project. Okay, great project. And uh, where, where is that? Is that a website? It is a blog. Uh, it's called the Lutheran Missile, and uh, it's a blog chronicling kind of the work that they've been doing. And the daily readings are actually what I used for um, my Advent. I use the Fridays, uh, the Friday services, the Friday readings for Advent, uh, for my midweek Advent preaching, because they actually have texts for reading every single day, every day. And uh, that's really nice because, like, you don't hear a lot about John the Baptist and his preaching on the Sundays, where you do hear it is during the week. Right, right. You hear John the Baptist. Should I send another? Basically, right. We look you for know, another. Yeah. So that's why I, um, yeah, there might be more biblical text on a Sunday in the three year, but I think if you did the one year, how it was supposed to be done with uh, the weekly with, as well, with the weekly readings, and you incorporated them, then in the you Bible get more study. Explore, you get you get more exposed to all those other readings throughout the week, and it's all in an effort that that has the same rhythm of the, the entire lectionary. Right. Number nine. The three-year series is good when the pastor has written three years' worth of awesome sermons and doesn't think the congregation can remember three years back. Yes. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. The, the same could apply to the one year, and you just, you know... Oh, that's true. You have three good... You know, just have three good sermons and you'd be okay, right? Yes. By the way, I'm not that I want people to understand something. I, I say that because this is not from personal experience. Right. You know. Because if you imagine me trying to even find a sermon I preached three years ago. No. I've got a pile literally this high of sermons now. If someone actually said, Hey pastor, I like your sermons. I want to kind of organize them. Well, do you do you keep the recordings of them? Because you guys send it over to... Yeah, we can... There is a database of recordings of them. Well, because, you know, that would be... Somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, from your 
quote unquote manuscripts, I don't know if there would be right a lot of uh, a lot to go on. Right. Yeah. So I do have my unique style of preparing sermons. That's so for at, sure. at least they're recorded. So if someone ever wanted to transcribe them and do a uh, a book, you know, there you go, a homiletics book, you could do it. I've, I, of all the things that I've thought about writing. I'll be honest, the homiletics type of a thing is what I've thought most of. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've been reading these um, Reinhold Pieper um, essays by Dr. Adam Kuntz. No. Um, you know, the Oracles of God. And then he just came out with a new one on the differences between um, uh, Pieper and um, Holkamer. Mm-hmm. And just the difference in in uh, how they view the Word of God and how that affects their preaching style, mm-hmm. um, fantastic. So, so if you're if you're look, you know, there's some really neat stuff to engage if you ever wanted to, you know, move down that path. Number eight, when everyone else in the circuit uses the three year, that's a good time to use a three year. <laughs> well, yeah, it makes it a little bit easier. You know, when <laughs> you have to get preachers, so Yeah. But if, we only have available. We only have one holdout, don't we? Yes, yes we do. I think everybody else is on are, the one. Are you gonna yeah. call him out? I think the one Well, let's just say he's building a compound out in the woods <laughs> and has a stockpile of guns. I don't know if there's any relation between that and using the three year or if he has lots of three years of sermons in the <laughs> Uh, you can talk to him about. You can ask him at our next Winkle. Yeah. When is that again? Uh, it's here, so you don't have to drive very far. Yes. Number seven. When you are strong enough to confront the Fort Wayne guys at pastors' conferences, and and can handle it. For example, if you say, "Well, we use a three years," this is the kinds of things you hear. Oh, so they had it when you got there, or you hear. <laughs> We use the one Luther used. Mm-hmm. Or you might hear, I thought you were one of us. <laughs> Why, have you actually heard that one? <laughs> it comes with a lot of snide remarks. Or you just get a, a silent look and uh, like a, an I'm so sorry for your loss type of a nod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to be like, if you're going to be the use of three year, this is particularly in Iowa East. <laughs> This, sir, yeah, this I wonder how many people still use the the three year in Iowa East. That would be kind of interesting, right? What well, you know, I've used the three years for probably, I think I'm on my fourth or fifth time for the one year for the one year. Yeah, and I've been here twenty years now. So right, so I, it would be interesting to see like get data on on that and see what people are using, how long they've been using it. You know. By the way, this is a this is a great kind of conversation for uh, the pastors listening to to comment. You know, especially pastors who have used both. Number six. There are much better resources in the three year for using things like um, puppet ministry and creative worship. Well, that is true. Any comments? I, I I don't know what to say to that, you know. Because if you really want to do like a like a carnival type service, <coughs> right? And you were gonna say, okay, what kind of resources are there in the one year lectionary to do that? It'd be very hard. Yeah, I don't think you'd find too many. Right. Number five. And this actually is a is something that I think is true. Okay. Okay. So you're being super serial. There are great hymns paired to the three-year lectionary that emphasize readings that may not be found in the one-year lectionary. Okay, do you have uh, any examples? No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I did this list in like 10 minutes, okay? (laughs) I know they exist. (laughs) Okay, I I believe you. I mean, you know. um, And they've been there generally generally inspired by... um, uh, they're generally newer hymns. Yeah, I mean, I want to say, what's his name? Yeah, Alan Kornacki, A L A N K O R N A C K I, 
uh, Jr. I want to say he's done a whole bunch with... Uh, he is in uh, Southern Illinois District, and uh, I want to say he is uh, he's done a bunch with um, the three-year lectionary. It looks like he is a one-year guy. Oh, is he just a one-year guy? Okay, then never mind. Judging so. by his Amazon, <laughs> judging by his Amazon, he has a book that is labeled for one-year lectionary. All right, so this is what I need. I need the clerical heirs army to find these hymns and email it to them. Okay? Finds hymns that are based on three-year lectionary that are in our hymnal uh, that focus on readings that we don't get in the one-year lectionary. And where, where can they get a hold of us, Berg? I, I, I got you. I got you. Uh, Thank you. You can email us feedback <laughs> at clericalerrors.org. Uh, you can go to our Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast, And we have a Twitter. At me, bro. Uh, at Clerical Errors P, P for podcast. Does anybody use the Twitter? Yeah, we've got a few followers. We do? Okay. All right, so are we on number four? Number four. This is, uh, I've heard someone do say this before, which I, it cracks me up. They said, I utilized both. I do the three-year and then I do the one-year. To which I asked, wasn't that a four-year series? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't like, Year A or whatever it is in the three year, isn't that basically the one year? Kinda. Right? I mean, there are differences. Sure. Especially in the epistles and the Old Testament, right? But I mm-hmm. mean they, they kinda use that as kind of like the scaffolding. Yeah, or whatever, right? I suppose. I suppose. By me saying this, I really like I didn't mind using both. Which bothers you, I know. No, I, I I don't care. You can preach from an inferior lectionary, and right. that doesn't bother me. I only have, I just realized I only have 11, so this is number two. <laughs> you all right? Do <laughs> you yeah. think you could maybe come number up two. with another one? Sure. Number three. Number three. It only seems to matter to the pastor anyway, so do what you want. <laughs> That that's probably more true than Is that what. the truest one I've had so far? Well, and it does. It makes me a little sad. And I've tried to share this with my elders, you know, because I, I'm not gonna be there forever unless my unless our Lord comes back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I've tried to tell them not only what I do, but why I do what I do. And that, you know, the next pastor can change it, but maybe he should think about why I did what I did, you right. know? So I've been I've been trying to get others kind of involved in it, and in the bulletin I print every week a summary of the gospel, just a sentence, with verses to learn. And if we could actually get that done, like if we could make mm-hmm. the one year uh, part of our general catechesis where people were, were living it, all week long, and their kids were memorizing the verses, and they were memorizing the verses. Uh, I think pedagogically, it would be much more important to people. Right. Because that's one thing in in the the one year is I've noticed in using it and switching to it is uh, every Sunday kind of feels a little bit more like a festival, right? You know, you know, every Sunday is is its own thing, right? It's like a every Sunday is kind of like a. Uh, a holiday that you celebrate every year. Yeah, that you only get that one Sunday too. You know, right. so I don't know. I wish, I wish people cared more. I wish their weeks were kind of were more determined by our church year than they are by the secular secular year. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know, if everybody like if they just did that, if they did their catechisms at home, and if they memorized you know two three verses from the gospel reading. Mm-hmm. You know, and thought about it all week long. Uh, I think, I think things would be a lot healthier. Honestly, I, I, I suppose maybe it would work one way and not the other. Let me explain. Because uh, three years is uh, you don't necessarily because there's less of a, a real cycle that people would recognize. Mm-hmm. That if I was doing the three year and Advent came, the start of the new church year, and I just started doing one year, right? Well, people and I even if I if, if I just use the same nomenclature or whatever. Would people actually notice that we were doing something different? It would. T- yeah, I don't know. 
if they would. Now, I would say that after doing maybe the one year for three years, if you were to take that and then switch to the three years, people might notice. Right. I th- I think they would. Because you're kind of into the rhythm and you kind of have the cycle that you're you're looking forward and it's, you kind of become a little bit more, I think, in tune to the church year with the one year in that way. Yeah. And I do think, too, you know, every text in the one year kind of has one thought, you know, one mm-hmm. major thing, you know, you should really talk about. And I would like to hear from a pastor who, because there are there got to be plenty of pastors out there, probably older, who went from the one year and then switched to the the three year when that came out. Yeah. And what, what what was that like? The what fun- was your experience? <laughs> the funniest one that I've ever heard on that. This was a pastor who. Uh, um, he celebrated his 50th uh, ordination probably 10 years ago, and he said, he told me, he's like, yeah, I just, you know, I switched to the three-year because, you know, he basically got sick of the one-year. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, there's just not enough to preach on. And it's like, uh. <laughs> Number two. Because it gives you more to preach on. <laughs> There's my number two. Which, yeah, well, it definitely is a number two. Oh. So. And number one. Uh, you use a three-year to annoy Pastor Berg. Yep, that's <laughs> exactly right. That's kind of a lame reason. To well, use it. If, if, people, uh, if, if people care about me that much, I'm touched, I think. Well, there there is, I know, that there is a... A one a listener who's a strong proponent of the three year. Okay. Yes. He looks kind of like me, except he's older. Maybe okay. we'll listen. Maybe Florida. we'll get some kind of disgruntled phone call of some kind. I yeah. Maybe we'll get a dis- something on the clerical errors answering machine. That that could be. So. <laughs> well, good. Thank you for your list. Yeah. Um. Is there anything else you want to bring on the three-year right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, we can do whatever you want. Um, one thing that uh, we can maybe put up on our Facebook page is uh, it was a document that was translated for um, from one of our uh, old Missouri magazines, and uh, it's how a pastor can treat all of the chief doctrines preaching the gospel pericopes in one year. And this is for the, the one-year lectionary. And it, uh, you know, it kind of gives the reasons why this should matter, you know, that it is the preacher's sacred duty to preach to his hearers the whole counsel of God for salvation, right? So that means that as a pastor, you kind of got to have a plan, right? Right. You need to preach the whole counsel of God. Um, And some, by the way, some would say that because the three-year uses a more wide variety of readings, that that three-year actually preaches the whole counsel of God. Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm not a believer in. Uh, um, just because it's more means that it's better. Because the three year lectionary also leaves out some very powerful texts too. So right. I mean, unless you're going to do a lectio continua, you know, and just read and preach through the entire Bible, I I just you know, um, sure. And how beneficial is that to our lay people? Who, I mean, let's face it. They, with the way that the world is going, their atten- attention spans are not nearly right. Actually, you know, going back to one of your arguments, the three-year probably would have been better for uh, the people of Walther's day than it is for our day because right. they could probably listen to the whole thing. Right. You know, and that—that that, that's like why I gave the example that I did of you know congregation where everyone's there every Sunday, right, and they're in Bible study learning the same. And they, they know how to make these connections, and they can do that. And uh, I think, honestly, we're actually going the opposite way in America today. Um, I think our catechesis is very low. Um, I think our biblical literacy is very low. Um, and so we actually do need very short, succinct pericopes in order to teach right. our people. To be honest, that was my the greatest impetus for going to the one year is the consistency mm-hmm. and um, people learning these texts better. Right. It's, and owning uh, them. 
there's a Latin phrase, right? Um, non multa sed multum. Not a lot of su- of things, but much of one thing. Right. And I think that's important. Um, it's better to have a few books and know them really well than to have a thousand books and not really know anything. Right. You know? But I thought here's some of the chief doctrines for Advent that we should be covering. Uh, I thought this would be kind of a fun topic. Like, so for Advent 1, you have the royal office of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? That makes sense because of the triumphal entry, right? Right. Jesus comes as the king, right? right. And that was kind of my emphasis uh, for my Advent 1 ser- sermon was, you know, this is your king. You know, and then you can incorporate it into the catechism, right? Christ's threefold office of mm-hmm. prophet, priest, and king, right? Yeah. So Advent 2, this Sunday that we talked about, is obviously Judgment Day, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because it talks about the second coming of Christ. Um, so you've got like the second article, the end of the second article, and that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Advent 3, they have here the Word of God, um, uh, and it says here, there's a note, this doctrine can be treated well by many pericopes, but this is one of the most appropriate. So he kind of argues that, you know, Advent 3 should really focus on the Word of God mm-hmm. and what that means. Uh, Advent 4, he has baptism, right? Uh, besides Trinity Sunday and the Feast of the Baptism of Christ, the only good opportunity to preach on baptism. But it would be better to consider this doctrine in the Confirmation Address and here consider repentance. So either baptism or repentance for Advent 4 is kind of what they... And so I think that's actually a really neat thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. Is you kind of take the chief doctrine for the day, Mm -hmm. and uh, it should at least be mentioned, right? Right. Um, And then that way you can... Are those chief doctrines... That's kind of how they... When you have your collect, they try to mention those in the collect of the day. Right, and they actually have them ranked here. So like... um, uh, one one through five here, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, for number one, these are the festival pericopes, like Christmas. Like, on Christmas, you have to talk about Jesus' incarnation and his birth, right? You yeah, just, probably. That's you know, a good idea. like, you kind of have to do that. Number two, these pericopes are the uh, um, the Loki classici, right? The classic seats of doctrine for certain doctrines. And you really probably should treat them. Uh, the third is they have a certain scope, you know, so it kind of gets down there where it's like you can, but you don't really have to cover this. Right. Uh, by five, it's like, well, you know, they, you know, you can kind of do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not exactly in those words, but, you know, so it kind of gives you an opportunity to think about what you're going to preach on, why you're going to preach it. Because, I mean, honestly, as a preacher, um, you want to make sure you're you're covering all these things, right? Yeah, they don't have a blind spot, right? And um, and I think this list is actually very, very helpful. And maybe we, especially can... for a new pastor, right? Because that that struggle of uh, of that first couple of years of being a pastor and preaching every Sunday is, you know, how do I make sure I'm covering what I'm supposed to and not sound like I did last week? Right, exactly. Uh, or if you get on a hobby horse. Right. You know, and that happens a lot. Or pastors don't do this, be reactionary in your sermon. Right. You know, I mean, you have to let the text, right. you know, determine what you're going to preach. And I think that is one of the great strengths here is that in the year, you can cover these things and, you know, talk about things like, okay, what is repentance? You know? Mm-hmm. What does it mean that Jesus is king? What does it mean, you know, right. what is Judgment Day? Right. Um, so, uh, well, otherwise that, they'll never hear it. Right. Or they'll get it from, you know, reading your Left Behind books, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of this episode. I am Bullhagen. I'm Berg. I'm, I'm Peter. Thank you for listening, and may your vicar kill one of God's beautiful creatures. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
questions, thoughts, concerns, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clerical heirs podcast on Twitter at clerical heirs P for podcast or email us at feedback at clerical Thanks for listening to clerical heirs. See you next time.